Oscar Wilde once said, to get back my youth, I would do anything in the world except take exercise, get up early, or be respectable. And here's Arthur C. Clarke. It must be wonderful to be 17 and to know everything. And from a farewell to arms by you-know-who, no, that is the great fallacy, the wisdom of old men. They do not grow wise, they grow careful. I'm Lynn Miller. And I'm John Modaff, and this is The Unruly Muse. Well, hello, John. Are you aging youthfully? <laughs> well, let's, let's uh, explore a little our new theme for this time, youth and age. Young bloods, young Turks. Buddy-duddies, old folk. Old farts, seniors. Babes in the woods. Wet behind the ears. Boomers, Gen Xers. No fool like an old fool. Acting like a child. Old enough to remember. The salad days of youth. No, 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 Yes, 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 yes. Fence rider. Maybe, 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 maybe. We just don't know. Refrain. This distillation in in three words of our whole theme is quite appropriate, I think. It makes me think of the phases of youth. The the maybe word is, of course, something we use all through life, but I was thinking it, it connects to potential. And I think one of our attractions to youth is that vast potential that seems to be stretching out in front when you're 10 or 15 or 20. I remember when we were very small and beginning to understand language had implications that the meaning of maybe would be pondered over. Is it yes? Is it no? What yeah. is it? Mm-hmm. And that third state of uh, just perpetual uncertainty, that hadn't become developed yet. Mm -hmm. Now I'm pretty comfortable with it. I have the slightest idea what's going on. You know, I was thinking about conversation because that's been one of our topics. Do you know people who, even though they agree with you when you're talking, you'll say something and they'll say, no, but, and then they'll proceed to simply extrapolate on what you've already said. Maybe they're just objecting to the fact that you said the thing they were thinking they were about to say that no one else had said yet. Well, we used to have a game when I first started college that you could get by in any conversation with a few words. One of them was no, one of them was yes, one of them was maybe, one of them was really? And those four words can get you through almost any situation. <laughs> yes. Really is, a, it really is a nice derivation of, of maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. It's a little more refined. It's got some wonder built in. The wonder is important. Yeah. Well, perhaps wonder gets us into our first poem. Oh, it does. Those wondrous days of later youth. Yeah. And also age in that its title is Eleanor Can't Sleep. 
This poem is by Susan Eisenberg, whom we've performed on the show before. She lives in Iowa City, Iowa. And this poem just came out in the new issue of ABQ in print number six. Here's the genesis of this poem. Eleanor is a fictional character who has been appearing in my poems since my first collection. I imagine her as a woman now in her 70s and one with, as the saying goes, a past. In Eleanor Can't Sleep, I was thinking about the way in music, and in particular the music that was important to us when we were young, can so powerfully trigger our memories. Imagining some of Eleanor's as she listens to this album she would have played repeatedly in 1969 and 1970. Eleanor Can't Sleep by Susan Eisenberg. So she puts in her earbuds. Listens to the old music. Here come old flat top. Remembers how T set the hard cup headphones. Big as baseballs on her head. Drew his shoebox. From its hiding place under the bed. Pipe and baggies, the lighter, the spoon. Tarry tang of opiated hash. Harsh in her lungs. And then the slow rocking. Shoot me. T's small square hands. On her naked back. Warm circles. Skin and stubble. And now... The moonlight limbs a green-gold rectangle on her floor. And she's seeing again the luminous glow ball they tossed. Giggling. In the air. The arcing trails. Tracing its flight. Was it an attraction to darkness? Her friend has asked. Because the world is round, it turns me on. Because... Harpsichord and harmonies. The same now as then. And she remembers... That falling away. That falling away. Of self into that oneness. She never found in prayer. A variety of joy. Ecstatic. As once on mescaline. She knelt beside a toddler by a stream. Both of them absorbed in the glitter. Of light on the water. The slick cool of the rocks in their hands. You never give me your money. It was the lilt of bird song. The heady perfume of apples. And in tea's room, the music. Enclosing her, and always the splendor. Of touch. The body that wrapped falling. Thank you so much, Susan. Yes, now why can't Eleanor sleep? Yeah, I mean, she's, well, I think these memories are too exciting. All the the drugs and the music and the sex. <laughs> I mean, how do you sleep? <laughs> well, <laughs> clearly they weren't. But when Eleanor can't sleep, she puts in her earbuds and goes back. Right. Some people count sheep, but Eleanor can't sleep, so she listens. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who do that. Someone told me they use our podcast for that, and I hope that's okay. <laughs> well, what, what I love about that wrapped falling in terms of our theme, it's so youthful to be wrapped and falling into whatever is now. But then on the age side, you can't really go to sleep unless you just fall off consciousness. And we're worried about falling the older we get. But in youth, because you're made of rubber and hope, you can fall and you're not afraid to fall. That's right. It's like letting go, giving mm -hmm. in, being there, falling. Yeah. You'd think we'd get more reckless the older we got rather than less reckless. 
I guess we can't afford it because of the uh, little bit of brittleness that sort of sets in everywhere. Yeah, and and the medical bills are so expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And the recovery time is kind of a bummer. This really, to me, is a very positive and upbeat, an intentionally upbeat piece about remembering. But what's nice about it is that it is so fresh, even now, clearly so many years later. And the wonderful images, the lilt of birdsong, the heady perfume of apples, the uh, toddler by a stream absorbed in the glitter of light on the water. There's so much here that is dreamy. And there it is, that mixture of the possibly hallucinogenic and the very real details We've seen this mixed in so many of the great poems we've looked at in past shows. Not cold, but starkly realistic imagery and descriptions mixed with the fantastic, even hallucinogenic, right next to one another and getting along just fine. Yeah, I'm looking at the poem and that wonderful thing about T's small square hands on her naked back, warm circles, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we get, and now the moonlight limbs a green-gold rectangle on her floor, and she's seeing again the luminous glow ball they tossed. Well, the luminous glow ball could be so many things. Rising and falling, a metaphor for a little drug action Um, maybe the ball of conversation back and forth. They're giggling, after all. I mean, there's so many possibilities. One very challenging line is, was it an attraction to darkness? Her friend has asked, as if she had described these experiences to someone, and the friend was asking, what was it that you were attracted to then? What was it that you were exploring then? And it's interesting that that they would say an attraction to darkness in the midst of this glowing experience. It's just an interesting line that jumps out. It does. Yeah, and the answer is a line from the Beatles song, Because, because the world is round, it turns me on. In other words, there really doesn't need to be much more excuse than this ball we're having. I think that there is an element of risk anytime anyone takes drugs, so there's an attraction to darkness, Entering into any kind of Congress with someone is risky sometimes. Um, Sort of the whole experience of even going back into the past and remembering what you were doing when you were listening to Abbey Road might have some risk to it. I don't know. It's not a completely rose-colored review of past experience. And it seems to acknowledge some feeling of the risks taken with the perspective from age backward. Mm-hmm. And and yet this person does see that she was standing in the light, so to speak, in her youth and finds some comfort in that when she can't sleep. Well, and standing in the light sort of rings a bell. I guess it's our next reading. By Lindsay Miller. Ten minutes early to meet her friend V for coffee, Marla captured a table for two in the back of the cafe. She began to read a novel, Alternate Endings. After two chapters, she'd concluded that the title might be the highlight of the book. V rushed in the door and stood impatiently in the ordering line. Marla waved. V grinned at her, flipping her scarf over her shoulder and hitching her hip in a movie star pose. Just as Marla gratefully tossed her phone into her purse, goodbye endings, hello beginnings, she thought aimlessly. 
she heard a young woman at a nearby table say to another, My mom doesn't get it that her generation is no longer the one standing in the light. Marla turned to see the woman's companion nod knowingly. The voice continued on, its freight of self-importance and sarcasm weighing in about equally. God, sometimes I just want to say, stand back, give me some air. Yeah, like isn't it time to be the support staff and not the star? The other woman said, her head bobbing like a tiny boat on a rough sea. Marla looked around the room. Each wall painted a different color. Her chair backed up to the purple wall. Most of the tables wobbled. It was easy to make the case that she was the oldest person in the coffee shop, except for V, of course. The two younger women dropped their voices. Thankfully, Marla could no longer make out what they were saying. How old do you think those two are, Marla asked V when she sat opposite her. Wait, no hug? No, how fantastic to see you, my friend? Not even after we haven't met for two weeks? V half stood and leaned over the table to deposit a smack on Marla's cheek. I'm glad to see you anyway, she said. Then V craned her neck to check out the two women behind them. Well, a lot younger than we are. She scanned the room and made a face. That wouldn't be hard here, I guess. She wrinkled her nose and let loose with her usual half-snark of a giggle. (laughs) V smoothed her curls away from her forehead. But guess what? We don't care. Her friend straightened her shoulders looking so triumphant that Marla began to laugh and laugh. (laughs) (laughs) A tear trickled toward her nose. Thanks, I needed that. So, when did you get so fussy about a little age? V dipped her finger around the edge of her latte and sucked off the foam. Her blue eyes squinted at Marla. She'd forgotten her glasses again. Well... I guess when a friend of a friend I was hiking with the other day said, actually said, for real, 70 is the new 60. Oh, no. Hasn't she seen that New Yorker cartoon where the grizzled guy sits with another geezer at the bar and the first one says to the other, 70 isn't the new anything. (laughs) They both look like they've eaten a few lemons and are starting on vinegar martinis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess she hadn't. And if she had, maybe she'd say, we don't care. Okay, let's change the subject, please. My daughter has been calling me lately to see how I am. She's checking up on me, if you can believe it. Now that she's 40, she knows everything and says she worries about me for no reason that I can see. So, tell me about what you're writing. You are writing, right? Well, I'm in kind of a slump. The new novel is not exactly spooling out on cue. Hey, as long as you're thinking about it, you're writing in the larger sense, right? I didn't say that, did I, to you? No, I heard it somewhere. It makes a kind of sense, though. How's your mom? I thought you wanted to change the subject, but maybe there isn't another subject at the moment, because mom is turning 97 in two weeks and really is doing well. But it's hard for her, you know? She says everything takes longer. V bit into a raspberry scone. She's amazing. How can you be so worried about aging when you have a model like her? Marla swigged a too large and too hot slug of coffee. I didn't think I was until I heard those young women as I was waiting for you. I never thought that my mother, for instance, wasn't worthy of attention. She's very worthy. So she can't climb K2 or Everest. Is that the measure of being human? Gosh, V, you're so profound today. Seriously, what is the measure of being human? V stirred her coffee, her eyes blinking rapidly. Compassion, humor. Hmm, 
Marla pointed at the scone on V's plate. Could I have a bit of that? V handed over a chunk of the pastry and Marla popped it in her mouth and chewed gratefully. It's such a relief to talk to you. I don't know what's wrong with me that I'm letting two twenty-somethings plunge me into the abyss. That bad? Okay, the facts. I'll admit that around 65, I stopped buying the 50-pound dog food and found myself gravitating toward the 20s instead, or even 15. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. But isn't something like that a sensible adaptation and a not very big thing? I mean, if you sprain your ankle, don't you minimize how often you go up the stairs? Maybe aging is like that. You have to get smarter about how to use your body. Or maybe more realistic. But isn't it okay? Uh, I guess it isn't okay. I always thought I was super strong and fast. And now in airports, I notice younger people passing me when I think I'm walking briskly. A little smile tugged at the corners of V's mouth. Keep telling yourself, we don't care. She put her hand over Marla's. Honey, I keep thinking about your mom, about Dorothy, who's still beautiful and funny. I just want to cheer her on. And you know what? She's still standing in the light. Marla lowered her head, her eyes brimming. Tell me what you're thinking. Marla looked up into the kind face of her friend. Something a little corny, I guess. Come on, so what? My dad was always corny, and now that's what I miss the most about him. Tell me. Okay, I'd like to post on a bulletin board in this cafe. The light is big enough and bright enough for all of us. Was that so hard to say? I like it. V tossed her curls. Of course, bright light isn't always flattering. Think of Blanche Dubois and her little red lantern covering the bare bulb so that her suitor would see her as young. She wanted magic. Marla leaned closer to V as if imparting a secret. A little magic helps get us through, especially when things falter. It offers perspective. It's kind of like a good friend. She raised raised her cup and and tilted it. it. Well, that was fun, John. Yes, thank you, Lynn, for finally answering the question, why do young people turn the lights down all the time right there at the end? (laughs) Because bright light isn't always flattering. Well, poor Blanche in Streetcar Named Desire. I mean, you know, she's trying to find a suitor, and she's getting a little long in the tooth, as they say, another horrible Mm -hmm. cliché. Well, that's the problem, though. Uh, When the lights are so low, you can't do a full inspection. So the imagination takes over and the other senses have to kick up. Yes. Uh, But the older we get, uh, the more lighting to some, the more important lighting becomes. And people place mirrors, I've noticed, in the most favorably lit locations, which is smart. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You don't want to, you know, say uh, under a floodlight or something. That wouldn't be good. Yeah, too much scrutiny at a certain age is a little wearing. Right from the start, it's this conflict that isn't a hostile, you know, sort of gun-toting sort of conflict, but a, a real generation gap. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the two women who are speaking are in between the 20-somethings and the, the most elderly you can get. And they're looking both ways and not really liking what they see when they turn toward youth, but admiring very much when they turn toward age. Yeah. Wondering where they, maybe they're wondering where they come down or being stuck between these two worlds um, makes them feel uh, 
unmoored somehow. And it's a tough age to be. I mean, you're often responsible for the generation below you and the generation above you if you're doing any kind of caregiving of parents um, aging, which, you know, Marla is. But I was also thinking about how in our society, this is such a big question right now. And we just had Speaker Pelosi say she's stepping aside for the next generation. And we've got all these tottering people in our Senate. So it's a big issue and a perennial one of the younger people wanting their chance. Mm -hmm. And the older people saying, wait, I'm not done. Yes, and uh, Marla and V share that concern, but how they, and maybe because V is not having to deal with an elderly mother, apparently, as far as we know, but still they, they respond differently to the predicament of their age and their moment. Mm-hmm. And in a way that V really helps buoy up her friend. Well, it's interesting at the beginning of the story when V does her movie star pose and, you know, flings her scarf and she's flinging her curls. I mean, there's a little bit of sexiness to V that she's not going to give up. And she's doing that right in the face and the place of these 20-somethings. <laughs> right. She doesn't give a crap. <laughs> she doesn't care. I think uh, we don't care is, is a really good recipe for aging. And they say, yeah, we know what it means to just have to shake stuff off. That's right. Well, and there is such a brotherhood and sisterhood about the cohort you go through life with, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess that's one of the uh, many values of a friend who grew up in the years that you grew up in, is that you can nod to each other knowingly about what came before and what comes after in a way that people in the, those other two groups really can't do. That's right. I mean, if I had talked about Abbey Road to my parents, they would have just looked at me like, well, where is Abbey Road? Uh, well, right. and <laughs> well, I recently had a visit from uh, a good friend who lives on the West Coast, another baby boomer, and he was grousing with great glee about how the younger generations keep co-opting what he called our music. And at one point he said, I just want to say, get your own music. <laughs> yeah. I remember, though, that Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones, who's now well into his 70s, he said, I certainly won't be doing this. Someone asked him how long he would play rock and roll, and he said, I certainly won't be doing this after 30. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, 70 is the new 30. Yes. Now... <laughs> Could Mick Jagger actually be in his 80s, do you think? He might be. I'm not sure about the age on that. I know it's, uh, he's older than dirt. Yes, I know. As we say. Yeah. Well, speaking of dirt, uh, I better dig something up for the cat to eat because it's been scratching on the door. Well, you can't deny youth and you cannot deny the cat or the dog. At any age. You're That's right. right. We'll be back. Let's hear a little asteroid belt from Dave Merrill. Wonderful. <laughs> You've 
been listening to The Unruly Muse. Mm, we thank you. What was that about Mick Jagger now? Did we define his age? Yes, he was born in 1943, so he is still 79, still clinging to those 70s. He's just a pup. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe someone should ask him that question again, and he might say, well, I can't imagine doing this rock and roll thing after 80. Yeah, speaking of energy, that break music, Asteroid Belt by Dave Merrill, one of our devoted performers on the show, talk about the energy of the banjo and the harmonica. It makes you want to move no matter how old you are. Yes, and Dave masters the gap and the pause so well. And we're going to hear a little bit more from Dave before long here in the show. But before we get to that... We've got a wonderful second poem. Yes, and this poem is also about moving at any age. It's called Swimming Lesson by Mickey Aronoff, who we've heard from before on the show. Mickey is an Albuquerque poet, a fabulous poet, and she says Swimming Lesson is a positive take on aging. It was previously published in Value Essays, Stories, and Poems by Women of a Certain Age, published Mm. in 2017. Then when I wrote her, I said, well, any more on the Genesis? And she wrote back, ha, the Genesis? My own gnarly body. Didn't want to stay there, though. So I imagined myself weightless and free in water with a view up to the heavens. It ain't all bad. Swimming Lesson by Mickey Aronoff. I weigh heavy on myself. Dense bones and fleshy gilts. Stratify my past. Blanket what's ahead. Knobbly knuckles burden the now. As toes scatter and stretch. Every which way. Demanding socks with sandals. But afloat in twilight's waters. Makes makes of of me me a dainty dainty parcel. Buoyant, fresh. Unlocked and bare. Smooths neurons, crossed signals, while cataract clouds pattern dreams onto early stars. That is just wonderful, Mickey. Thank you. Isn't it true that water, swimming, that buoyancy, no wonder it's such a popular sport. And no matter what age you are, you see yes. people in the water. I happen to be a swimmer myself. And, you know, I see kids swimming with glee. I see older people swimming with glee. It's just the ultimate release and relief exercise. Those first lines before, but afloat in twilight's waters, those lines before that, they're this inventory of features of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost what she might be thinking when she's getting ready to get in the pool. That's right. I, I love when she says, a float in twilight's waters makes of me a dainty parcel. Because, of course, Twilight's waters have to do with age and the time of life, but also a wonderful time of day that's betwixt and between. Yes, lots of paradigms working in the center of that poem at that transition where she starts talking about what it does to her and for her. Mm -hmm. And it really is, there's just uh, the word redemption comes to mind or maybe even resurrection Mm -hmm. in this poem. And it's not long. It's just so much packed in there. Uh, And its stark good humor in the early parts are just set off by this euphoria that's still very much locked into her features. 
Mm-hmm. For example, she sees clouds patterning her dreams, but they're cataract clouds. I know. I love the humor in this poem. I think the character V in the last story would approve of this poem. It doesn't become purely sentimental in that second half. She's no. still aware of who she is, but she's seeing all and feeling all of this goodness as her little dainty parcel from the swim. And people deal with those crossed signals, right? Those neurons not playing well with one another. And the swim smooths that. And even just saying smooths neurons. Mm-hmm. It's relaxing. And then you look at that phrase, buoyant fresh. Well, that describes this poem. This is a buoyant poem. This is a very <laughs> yes, fresh is. look at the body. Well, thank you so much, Mickey. Terrific. So then we're going to move into another song by Dave Merrill, whom we heard at the break, Gardener. I want to share a little bit about what Dave said as to where it came from. Gardener was one of those creations that kind of came all at once, sitting, picking the guitar one weekend morning while listening to Mary Beth, that's his wife, through the screen door, making her rounds down the rows. We put in a fenced garden about 15 years ago, and though I do some of the heavy lifting, Mary Beth is the real gardener. I think it is one of the most positive things one can do for their soul and nature. Gardener by Dave Merrill. Down between the garden rows, oh, she knows the life she sows. Gently bend the vine away The sun shines in her heart today To keep the garden growing green Help the children spread their wings With gentle touch but sometimes firm She hopes one day we all will learn The secrets only she can tell To love and live a life so well To give and take coax along to hear her soothing lilting song As usual, Dave has great musicality in everything that he does. I mean, he really is amazing. 
this song is moving as well as optimistic, I think. Yes, do you just see her working? And the, the phrase, life lived well, this woman is a nurturer. I think there's um, the line about secrets of living a life so well. And of course, that refers to advancing age in that mm-hmm. how can you know the secrets of living a life so well if you're only... 30. It's it's something that sort of develops over time into wisdom. You know, how to live a life well is the enduring question, I think. He appreciates what she's doing. And yeah, he, like he says, he hoists some things around, but the the doing of the garden is this action and this ritual. And it, uh, as he says, nourishes the soul and nature. And then I like the way that that's put because the soul, of course, that's the human thing. And the nature of the person and nature itself are both affected. Mm -hmm. I have to ask you, in terms of youth and age and this song, we tend to think of green in gardens, but we also tend to think about youth and green, green shoots, for instance. I wanted to ask you if you think there's a color associated with age. Oh, yeah, foggy. (laughs) Foggy, yeah. It's fog, yeah, the color of fog, which can be very beautiful, right, depending on where you are in relation to it. Uh, If you're lost in it, it's a bummer, but it's really pretty to look at. Everything is softer. Mm -hmm. The fog does things to light, and the things are obscured, and let's face it, unless you're one of the very few whose vision improves through age, things get a little fuzzy the older we get. Yeah, and I I think also the color gray, which is associated with fog, and also silver in hair, those those are associated with age. I'm trying to think if there's a more vivid color associated with age. I know many people, when they get older, tend to wear even more vivid colors, which I, I think is optimistic and wonderful. Kind of like how the beach houses are all painted these wild pastels. Exactly. People start doing that to themselves. Well, I would say if there was an official color besides fog or gray, it would be the color wrinkle, but I'm not sure exactly which color that is. I don't know. So I'm surprised there isn't a Crayola for wrinkle. <laughs> a Pantene color for wrinkle. <laughs> Let's see. I think I would throw in a little brown, a little gray, a little black. Um, All those colors. <laughs> uh, well, as we saunter toward the end of the show, there's a question I've been meaning to ask you since we started, and that is, what's your earliest memory? My earliest complete memory, I think, is seeing my grandfather, who died when I was only four, but this memory was probably around two or three, seeing him sitting on a stool as I ate fried eggs, and my grandmother was seated next to him, and I remember he had on a white shirt and a striped tie and brown pants, and that's my earliest memory. How about you? That's fantastic. It also had to do with food, and that was I'm I'm standing on a dining room chair that was dragged into the kitchen where my mother was mixing up a cake, and I was the kid that was home, not Mm -hmm. in school yet, and I'm standing there with my nose over the edge of the bowl waiting for what's left. I love it. Both of them are foodish, aren't they? Well, that makes me happy because we just decided that our next theme would be food for thought. Mmm. Two of the most wonderful things about the holidays, food and thought, and we're putting them together into a show. But, you know, before we get into next time's show, I want to point out that this show that we're doing on Youth and Age is our 21st 
show John and in the tarot 21 is the card of completion so I think wow. youth and age that's kind of perfect a nice transition here with youth and age and I hope that everyone who's listening has uh, gliding comfortably from one to the other. And I would like to say to our listeners, if you want to send us an email of an idea to go into Food for Thought, we would welcome that. You can go yes. to theunrulymuse.net. We'd love to have your input. Yes, we would. And we really appreciate all the people all over the world who've been listening to the show regularly. It means a lot to us. Thank you for listening. This is The Unruly Muse. I'm John Modaff. And I'm Lynn Miller. Until next time.